you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And, and, I, and as I said earlier, I, I want to take this time today and really challenge us not only to look back at our previous year, but also to challenge us looking forward at the coming year. And, and not just in any way, but specifically challenge us with regards to our walk and our growth in the Word. That, that we would make the Word primary in our lives, that we truly would devour it, that we truly would see it as, as food, nourishment for our souls, that we would not become complacent in our growth and in our conformity to Christ. And even, you know, I want you to know, I face the same challenge. In, in your life, it may look one way. In my life, it may look a different way. In my life, one of the greatest challenges that I face is, is I can come to the Word primarily because of the sermon or because of the Bible studies that I do during the, during the week and never approach the Word for me in the sense of just me sitting at the feet of our great God and Savior and Him feeding me. So all of, us, all of us face that challenge. Some of us may say, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. I have a pretty good handle on the Word. And, and so we can fall in a trap of thinking because we seem to know the Word well that we don't need it every single day. That's a lie. I, I would call it, I would call it the, the, the lie of living on yesterday's bread. You know, I had a great time with the Word, the Lord yesterday and then we just try to live off that. And eat off that for far too long. And God has called us, demanded of us, constant growth. And, and I'm reminded, and I've preached this the last couple of uh, uh, years uh, on this Sunday, and I think it's a fitting passage. And, and, and I was on vacation with my parents, and, and, and honestly, for simplicity's sake, I really just was... Uh, maybe lazy and just thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that passage and, and, and it's, I'm familiar with it and, and, and I'm on vacation and it'll just make life easier. And, and I really just, I felt even convicted about that. To not even come with, because I really felt like God had laid this on my heart and yet I was in selfishly taking the easy way out. And, and in 2 Peter, it's a very fitting passage, and we could have preached that today, because not that anybody remembers what I preached 365 days ago. But listen to what he says. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. You see, it begins there of, of understanding, of knowing. Of, that word knowing is experiencing. For by these promises he's talking about, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them, the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, applying all diligence, applying all diligence, in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, 
and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And, and here, here's the challenge for us. And this is one of the reasons why I love this passage. I, I, I gravitate to preaching that's just in your face and just putting it out there. And Peter does that. He says, for if these qualities, the things that he just mentioned, if these are yours, but, but the beauty here is he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't say if these are yours. He says, if these are yours and are increasing. Notice he doesn't say, are you saved? He doesn't say, have you studied the word? He doesn't say, do these things currently, are they exhibiting in your life? He doesn't say any of that. He says, if these are yours and are increasing, listen to what it says. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the challenge there for us if, is if, if the, I think what, Paul is, what Peter is saying rather is, listen, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I mean, God is speaking through Peter here saying, a Christian that is not growing is not useful. And the reality of that, that, that shouldn't be foreign to us. I, I would dare say in your business, those of you who have employees, those of you who are employees, are they not expected to continue to grow? I, I know when I sold, I sold insurance to help, my parents paid for college, don't get me wrong, but I, I worked uh, as a, a full-time insurance salesman to, to pay for things and that, and, and, and we had things what were called continuing education regularly. Just because I had a license, a 220 license, I had to go to regularly continuing education classes. Those of you who are teachers... You regularly, to keep your certification up, you go to continuing education classes. I dare say for our doctors, the, we, the last time we want them to study, the last time we want them to, to really grow, oh, well, I looked at all that years ago when I was in med school. No, I hope you're still studying. I hope you're still growing. It, 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 athletes, in, in every area of our lives, it's not, it, it, are we growing? Or are we increasing? Because it's there that we're rendered useful and fruitful. And, and here's where it's rooted, verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. We, we lose the awe of our salvation. The amazement of being saved, of, of being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the glorious kingdom of light. We've, we've lost the awe of being alienated, of God being hostile toward us, uh, wrath due us because of our sins, and yet now we're children of the very one who had wrath, who, who really, Romans 8, condemnation, for now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One millisecond before you got saved, here's what was due you, condemnation, because of your sin. We, we forget that. And that's just part of our, our, our fallenness. We, we, for, we forget in our marriage, we forget 
we forget what it was like to be single and how we longed for a mate, and now we have a mate. It, 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 it be, you, you lose the awe of that with our, with our kids, with our work, in everything. It's part of our fallenness. And, and, and again, he says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and choosing you. We, look, when we're not growing... Here's the questions that I get asked, and, and these are generally rooted in people who aren't growing. I'm not sure if I'm saved. That, again, because you're not growing. You're not growing. And you're open for attacks. John says, I write these things that you'll know, First John, you'll have salvation. Peter says, look, doing growing, may being all the more diligent, it, that's how, again, you, you, you understand and God breathes that fresh wind that you are, you are who He says you are. You're His child. Why? Because you're growing. Because these characters are, characteristics are growing. And, and what I want to see today is where, where it's rooted. And it's the Word. The Word. And, and I want to do this in, in Hebrews. And, and I want to start in... In chapter 1, verse 1, verses 1 through 3, all, all, again, all of this is related to, again, to something that, that I hope will be a blessing to us as a church. Something that, that we'll pass out here in a moment because I didn't want you to just come in and grab it and spend the time trying to figure out what it is. I'll tell you what it is and then we'll pass it out. But I, I want in 2018 for the Word to have a primary place in our lives. And, and I want to help us with that. I, I realize that for some of us, having home devotions or, or leading out in the Word and things like that at home can be a daunting task, uh, struggling where to start, struggling do you feel adequate enough, struggling on what to do, what materials. So I'm going to try it. I'm, I'm going to take it upon myself as your pastor, as someone who loves you, to, to do the best I can to eliminate all those hurdles and week by week put something in your hand that for two, at least two or three times a week, you can sit down as an individual, sit down with your family, and go through the Word of God, but with a specific purpose, with a specific purpose. That, that we would know Christ intimately, that we would see Christ as the, the picture, the, the, the one that is portrayed all throughout this Word. That we would grow closer to our Redeemer. Because th think about this for a moment, and, and here's why the Word is so important. Think about this just for a moment. Think about this truth. It sounds silly. It may be something that we take for granted, but think about this for a moment. God has spoken. Think about that for a moment. See, see we read that, we, we hear that, and I think we just brush by it. No, no, no. God has spoken. That, that revelation is recorded in the Word. Again, John 1 makes it very clear that Jesus is the pinnacle of that revelation. It's interesting, in, in John 17, the, what's called, what's regarded to as the high priestly prayer, it, it's amazing that Jesus here is, is praying, but what He's praying for, he, he, he talks about the Word. I have given them Your Word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask You to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Listen to this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You're sanctified in truth. This word is that truth. It's interesting in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. He's talking about the apostles there. But for those, listen to this, but for those who believe in me through their word. Who are those that would believe in God, that believe in Jesus through the word of the apostles? Who are they? Us. Us. Jesus here is praying for believers. Praying. Who believe in their word. That they will all be one, even as you, Father, are one, and I, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Even there, there's the pri- priority, the preeminence of the word. God has spoken. We believe our faith, again, Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The Word. Again, the same thing, Matthew 4. Man does not live on bread alone by every what? Word that proceeds out of your mouth. We believe in the Word of the apostles, given by God, inspired by the Spirit, displayed through the life and words of Christ. And and that applies to, to every word, every book. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And verse 17 is key. It says, so that, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to be useful? Again, think about what we just saw in 2 Peter 1. If these are not yours and are increasing, they render you neither what useless nor unfruitful. Connect that even with Paul says in 2 Timothy, so that the man of God may be adequately, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You, you want to be, if we want to be useful in 2018, the Word of God has got to have a place of preeminence in our lives. Not yesterday's Word. Not six months ago, not the, not the ladies' Bible study that you just did on the fruit of the Spirit. Not the men's Bible study that you're doing under, with, with Dwayne and through Ephesians. No, no, day by day by day by day by day. Just like you come to the, you come to the eat every single day, you eat physical food. Every single day we need spiritual food. In order for us to be useful. I mean, the, the fact, and again, all Scripture is God-breathed. Man, man didn't originate this. God originated this. That word there is theonoustos. It's, it's the only time it appears. It literally means, just like God, God spoke, he breathed, he breathed into Adam and there was life. God breathed, it was sourced in God. And listen, only, only this Bible makes this claim. God breathed. God has spoken. Think about that. The Bible is not ultimately for man. God used them to write, but they weren't the source. 
2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, No prophecy prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own, own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will. But men spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. God is, the, God is the origin. God spoke. That's huge. And, and more than any other book, in, in really the New Testament, Hebrews serves as a demonstration of, the, of really the unity of all 66 books in what we would call our Bible, and, and that they are ultimately from the one and the same divine author. And it, you see it, if you were to read the book of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews, there's, there's a lot of argument over who that, who that was. Uh, I, I'm not, it doesn't necessarily matter in the sense that it's, it's true. It doesn't affect his truthfulness. But, but the author of Hebrews, whoever that was, whether it was Paul or Apollos or whoever, has an unusual way of citing Old Testament scriptures. And more than really any other book, he relies on the Old Testament. And what he does is he almost always neglects to cite the human author. He simply says, God spoke. Why? Because is not God ultimately the source of Scripture? He may have spoken through Moses. He may have spoken through Paul. He may have spoken through Peter. But ultimately, he's the source. And again, what he's doing is he's emphasizing the divine authorship of the whole Bible, all Scripture. All Scripture. And and for the author of Hebrews, what Scripture says, God says. God has spoken. And and that's a huge claim. I mean, think about that. All that goes with that, therefore God is. God has revealed Himself. All the world's religions, all the world's philosophies, they attempt to answer one fundamental question. Is there a God? And if there is, can we know Him? And if so, if so, how do we make sense of what we see on a a horizontal level? Life and trials and and all those things. And and again, it's a huge claim. And, And does it really matter, especially in our day, the question is this, does it matter specifically what you believe, as long as you're sincere? We live in a world that just says you just need to be sincere. Just believe it sincerely. And what Hebrews answers, he answers all of these questions. But he answers them in a way that's very opposite to the views of our culture. He he gives no tolerance to any truth other than there is one God who has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and he is the way, the truth, and the life. He eliminates all rivals. He eliminates all other, other possibilities. And quite honestly, he's very, he's very strong, what, what we would call in our culture, judgmental towards any approach, any pursuit of any other God than the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. And, and again, we live in a day where tolerance and, and non-judgmental attitudes are our primary virtues and, and truth becomes subjective, not to the writer of Hebrews not to the writer of the rest of Scripture. What, what we say in our day is, is, if Buddhism makes sense to you and gives you fulfillment, who am I to say you're wrong? Islam, Hindu, 
whatever, as long, as long as you're honest, as long as you're sincere, rather, as long as you're not hurting individuals, as long as you're sincere, we, we say, oh, it's judgmental for me to say you're wrong. Well, it's, it's not. The Word of God says they're wrong. God's spoken. And, and if this book is true, then they're all false. And the Bible, the Bible, specifically Hebrews, says there is one God, three persons in the Trinity, and that the revelation of Himself in the person of Jesus Christ is supreme over all and is complete. And look, look, at, look at Hebrews 1, just verses 1 through 3. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. We saw that in Colossians 1, verse 16. And He, Jesus, is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he inherited a more excellent name than they. Again, Hebrews affirms that, that God is, that he has spoken, and that Jesus Christ is that supreme revelation, supreme overall. He, and, and here he demands total allegiance, total allegiance. He is not tolerant of any rivals, not no rivals. In a very strong way, to turn away, to turn away from Christ to any other system as a way of approaching God, Hebrews says in chapter 2, is to turn to certain judgment. He says, verse 1 of chapter 2, For this reason we must pay close attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. To turn away from Christ, great danger. And that Jesus Christ, again, he makes it very clear, is the one that the whole Old Testament pointed to. We'll, we'll see that in a minute. Galatians 3.24, the law, it says the law was a tutor with the goal of what? Leading us to who? Christ. Christ. And again, the reason why, the reason why I feel like this passage was on my heart is because the, the letter of Hebrews, just to give you a little background, the letter of Hebrews is written to believers who had begun well. They had even submitted joyfully, see chapter 10, to trials and, and persecution. They had been plundered of their property. All kinds of things had happened to them, and they joyfully submitted to that. But as the trials continued, some of them began to become stalled in their growth. Some of them began to creep and wander back to the law in order to kind of fly under the radar and to, to avoid persecution. And, and again, they were thinking back really maybe to the good old days, to, to when they would, could just go through the motions in their Jewish religion without much interference because the, in Rome, the, Jew, the Jewish traditions and, and their, their system, Judaism, was tolerated 
But Christianity was not in many regards. So just fly under the radar. And, and, and because of their faithfulness to Christ, they saw in their future further persecution, and that was tempting them to abandon their faith, if you will, and go back to Judaism to stunt their growth, to kind of coast, to fly under the radar, to just blend in. To, to opt for temporary belief, as Hebrews will say. In, in chapter 11, it talks about many who were persecuted and, and, and sawn in two and all these things, and it says not looking, they were looking to a better resurrection. They endured all that they endured. Why? Because they believed the promises of God. And they were tempted, but they were tempted. Many Hebrews were tempted to, to, to sort of go with the motions, to not be sold out, to, to just fly under the radar at the expense of abandoning the, the, really the supremacy and the uniqueness of Christ. And Hebrews is written to warn the believers about that danger and against that danger. Hebrews 13, 22 says it is a word of exhortation. There are several strong warnings, not in chapter 2, but... Chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 10, chapter 12 all contain very strong warnings against the danger of flying, trying to fly under the radar, of neglecting so great a salvation. And, and the reality is for all of us, I think we would admit, the reality for all of us is that we're prone to drift. We're, we're prone, especially when it's difficult and costly, to follow then, then you factor in second-generation believers, and we get farther and farther and farther away from the cross, and I think it's even more of a temptation to drift, to, to just go through the motions, to just be content with being more or less moral individuals, if you will, versus sold out. And, and Hebrews exposes the danger of that and an inadequacy of that form, if you will, of religion. Just going through the motions. And that's really something that, again, that Jesus always attacked as well. Being more concerned with externals than internals. Of, of taking care of the outside of the cup and never dealing with the inside of the cup. Of, of allowing yourself to, to, be, to confuse externals with the heart or to confuse busyness or activity with intimacy. I mean, even in Matthew 7, the Pharisees, they had plenty of activity. Prophesied in your name, wonders, miracles, all these things. And what did Jesus say? We, I never knew you. Activity was not a replacement for intimacy. And I think externals, if we live in a culture where, again, we can easily fall into that trap, where externals mask a lack of intimacy, just going through the motions. And the theme, of, the theme of Hebrews is exactly, again, why, why Hebrews? It's exactly what we see in Colossians, that Jesus Christ is supreme. If we were to walk through and outline the, the letter to the Hebrews, you would see in, in chapter 1 that Jesus is superior to the prophets. In chapter 1 and 2, He's superior to the angels. In chapter 3, He's superior to Moses. In chapter 4, He's superior to Joshua. In chapter 5, He's superior to Aaron in His priesthood. In chapter 8, He's superior to the Old Covenant. In, in chapter 8, He talks about Jesus offers us better 
promises. And chapter 9 says that Jesus is the better tabernacle. And chapter 9 going into 10 says that Jesus offers a better sacrifice. The theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is better, superior. And more than anything else, what, what he says and what he goes back to is this truth. God has spoken. And, and this revelation is perfect and it's complete in Christ. What, what we have in these scriptures is perfect. It's complete. As we read a moment ago, seeing that His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need for life and godliness. And, and, and again, that revelation, that, that, that speech, if you will, of God is recorded in the Word. God has spoken to us in His Word. Through His Son. And that revelation is supreme and that revelation is final. And again, Hebrews 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His, excuse me, in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He has also made the world. So I want to draw out real quickly here a couple of truths and then explain kind of my challenge or, or the, my heart for us as we move forward in 2018. But the first thing you see on your handout, in the past, God spoke to the fathers and the prophets. There's no formal greeting here. It just simply begins with God. Two truths here. God is. You see them on your handout. God is. You know, you look at Hebrews 1, it really reminds us of Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 goes back and says, in the beginning, God. It, it doesn't really mess around with speculation. It doesn't mess around with philosophy. It doesn't compile arguments to try to help us understand or try to convince you of the reality of God. It just assumes the reality of God. God. In the beginning, God. Hebrews, God. It starts with the fact of God. And, and this is central in the, in the letter of Hebrews. God is central. 68 times you see that. Once every 73 words, you see a mention of God. He's primary. He's supreme. In our, in our day, again, someone may say, well, I'm an agnostic. I'm not sure whether God... I, I talked with an individual the other day who... who said, and, and a lot of times people don't even know what those words mean. This, this person in, claimed to be an atheist, but believed there was a God. I'm like, well, you might be agnostic, but you're not an atheist then. So the first part of the argument was even getting the right category that he was coming from. But that's a side note, sorry. But the, the Bible doesn't do, listen, you, you can say as an atheist, I don't believe God. You could say as an agnostic, God's unknowable. But, but listen, the Bible simply says your doubts, your skepticism, it doesn't alter the fact that God is. You may doubt it, but that doesn't affect the reality. 
You, you can doubt it all you want, but it doesn't change the reality. God is. God is. The, the Bible, in your very in your face, very, very right from the start, that God, the, the reality that there is a God is a prime reality. To ignore Him, to deny Him, to wander away from Him, you, to, is to do so at your own peril and ultimately your final destruction. Unbelief, listen, it's not a matter of rationalism. It's a matter of sin. It's a matter of sin. And Romans 1 makes that very clear. Those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, for that which was known about God was made evident to them. But not only God is, here's the other reality that Hebrews makes very clear at the very, very beginning that God has spoken. He's not silent. He has chosen to reveal Himself to the human race. Again, Romans 1, 18-23 shows that God has revealed Himself generally through creation. But then again, the Bible goes on to say specially or specifically through Christ. I mean, you look at the amazing complexity and design and, and all, of, all that the earth is and all that are, all the, the way it's fine-tuned and all that. It's clear there's a God. And we learn something about this great God through that. And again, Hebrews focuses on that special revelation through Jesus, that is Jesus Christ through the written word of God. God spoke to the fathers the ancestors of the recipients of this book and the prophets. And again, the prophets were those individuals that God would speak to and then they would take that word to the people. They would record God's message. They would give it to the people. And, and, and again, he's affirming the Old Testament. Again, the Old Testament, completely inspired. 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture... 2 Peter 1.20, no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by man's own interpretation. Old Testament, New Testament alike. But what he's saying is this, it's important for us to realize and grasp the aweness of this, that if God had not chosen to reveal Himself, no one would know God. He had to reveal Himself. You, you, can, you can speculate, you can guess, you can philosophize all you want what God is like. But listen... That's wholly different than the fact that God Himself has revealed Himself. You know, you can think all you want about, you may have some person that you'd love to meet, and you dream about that, and you think about that, and what He might be like, but it's a whole lot different than when you sit across the table, and you spend time with that person, and He actually tells you and shows you what He's like. And, and the Bible is very clear that because of the fall... We're blinded to those realities. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In whose case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the hearts and the minds of the unbelieving. Listen to me. It's not about, they think, well, it's just because I don't choose to follow God. No, 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 no. The, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds and the hearts of the unbelieving. There's a spiritual battle going on. Satan has blinded the minds and hearts so that they would not see, it says, so they would not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is 
the image of God. What has Satan blinded him to? The fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the image of God. Do you want to know God? Know Christ. And Satan has blinded. Our sin has blinded us to that reality. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says that the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And listen, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. John Cordova was, in a, or is, was an appraiser. What does an appraiser do? Appraiser assigns values. He, Raul said he praises. We tell our kids at home, you can't use the word in the definition, Raul. He assigns value. Assigns value. That's what an appraiser does. An appraiser sees value that's there that you and I may not see, and he assigns an, an accurate value to that. What is that verse saying? It's saying that us in our sin, because of our sin, because of the spiritual battle, because of Satan and all of that, we don't accept the things of, of Christ, their foolishness to us. Why? Because we don't appraise them. They're spiritually appraised. And, and that's what, that's our condition. Listen, that's our condition, which makes God revealing himself all the more huge because God is seen throughout Scripture drawing you to himself, rescuing you. He, he, listen, you didn't find God. God. God pursued you. He rescued you, believer. If you're a believer here today, he rescued you. You didn't come to your senses, weigh the scales. You didn't figure it out. By His grace, He took the blinders off of your eyes and, and unveiled Himself to you in a, in a way that, it was your, that you couldn't help but receive it. But that's God's doing, not your doing. Our salvation, again, is, is, is we owe God for that. There's, you see the, the spiritual battle going on, the beauty, the, the, the allness, the vastness of God revealing Himself. And even to whom he did that. I mean, if you go to Luke 10, 21 and 22, it says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these, listen, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Talking about salvation. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who is the Son is except the Father. Listen. And who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. You see the revelation? Nothing in there about you figuring God out. Everything in there about God revealing Himself to you. This is hugely important. The, the primary factor in whether or not a person knows God, again, lies in the, with the Father. Not our choice. And, and to say anything different, deny, again, I'm not, deny, I'm, not, I'm not one that totally denies free will, but you can't go all the way over there and make salvation all about us. You clearly see that in Scripture. If God had not revealed Himself, listen, we would not know Him at all. And the author of Hebrews, he, he, he makes that very clear not only that the, the God, first of all, that God spoke in many portions, 
And, and this would refer to the 39 books of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the, the prophets, the priests, the kings, the writings, all the po poetic and the historical books and all the different ways in the Old Testament. You see God revealing yourself, he says, in many ways as well, sometimes through angels, sometimes through Moses, through a bush, all the different ways. Isaiah, a vision. But, but also that all of these things, what he's saying is all of those things were aimed at who? Christ. All of those things are pointing us to Christ. You, you can go through the Old Testament, and I, and I, I worked on this study as I, as I looked at Christmas and Christmas Eve, and I, I had prepared for that just to show Christ all throughout in every book of the Bible. I scrapped it and went with something else, but it was a, it was a fruitful study for me. All of these things, Galatians 3.24, all of them are leading us to Christ. They're pointing us to Christ. Again, all, all of those things, all those revelations are pointing us to Christ. God's revelation of Himself is complete in Christ. To understand the Old Testament rightly, it aims us at Christ. Even the ark, you go back to simply the ark. What was the ark a picture of? The ark is a picture of Christ. Only those who got in the ark were saved from what? Destruction. Only those who are in Christ are saved from what? Destruction. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. Who ultimately was the Passover lamb whose blood, if not applied to your life, you received condemnation? That's Jesus Christ. He's the lamb. In John, when John the Baptist sees him, he says, What? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is that Lamb who, when His blood is applied to the, to the frame of your life, to the person of your life, Jesus' judgment, His wrath, passes over you. He is that Passover Lamb. He is the one that the suffering servant that Isaiah 53 spoke about. He is the one in Isaiah 7 and the one in Isaiah 9 that says, Behold, the virgin will be with a child, and in Bethlehem you'll find a child. He's that one, ultimately, that it was pointing to. He's that one that Micah 5.2 says, speaks of. He's the one that Genesis 3.15 speaks of, where God says to Satan, the curse is this. Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. One day I'm going to send my servant, Satan, and he's going to kill you. He's going to crush you. Jesus. Jesus. In the past, God spoke through many portions in many ways. God is. God has spoken. But not only that, in the present, number two, God has spoken supremely and finally in His Son. And in Luke 9, at the Mount of Transfiguration, God says, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. The story, the story, everything about it is pointing to Christ. Christ. And what Hebrews is saying is that Christ is that perfect prophet, priest, king. He's the perfect Moses. He's the perfect Aaron. He's better than angels. 
But in all these things that you've relied on, and all these things, he goes back to Genesis with Abraham and Melchizedek, and he talks about Jesus being greater even there. And this revelation was recorded in the Word. God has revealed Himself. And that revelation is recorded right here in these 66 books. So what's our response? Our response, and you see the application there. We should interpret the Bible, and here's a big word, Christologically. Christ-centered. Its fulfillment is in Christ. Jesus Christ is the complete and final revelation of God. Again, we saw in Galatians 3.24, even the law was a tutor that was meant to lead us to Christ. We cannot obey the law. We cannot fulfill the law on our own. We need somebody to be our substitute. We need somebody to obey the law perfectly on our behalf. I give you my son. It was without sin. That's why Jesus would say, it is finished. The law has been perfectly fulfilled, perfectly obeyed, and He stands as our substitute. He's our substitute. But it points to Christ. The tutor, it was a tutor to lead us to Christ. Secondly, we should not look for, the, word, the fill in there is not look for or expect any new revelation from God after the completion of the New Testament. And again, this, thing, this is why we would exclude Muhammad and the Koran, Joseph Smith and, Smith and the Book of Mormon, Marietta Baker, Mary, Mary Baker Edie, rather, and her teachings. Christ. Christ is sufficient. You want to know what God has to say? Go to the Word. Read the Word. It's sufficient. Seeing that His divine power, again, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Never mind the end of Revelation where he says, He who adds to or takes away from the words here in this book, their name would be blotted out of the book of life. It's serious business to mess with the word. Thirdly, when we come to the word, listen, if we're not coming, if we're not using the Bible to come to know Jesus Christ in a deeper, more personal way, we're not using it correctly. I'm not at all saying we don't study theology. I'm not at all saying. I'm against history or prophecy or any of those things. But ultimately, they're to lead us to an intimate knowledge and relationship of our Savior. John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom He sent. Ultimately, again, ultimately, Christianity is nothing less and is nothing more than a relationship to Christ. We have been reconciled to a holy God through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, and the Spirit lives in us and teaches and rebukes and corrects and trains and does all those things. Literally, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But again, that is we feed that and we grow up in an understanding of that through this Word. So, so I have on your handout there, and I'm going to ask um, Bill, if you and John would pass these out... Some others can help too if they want, but to expedite the process. While they're passing those out, think about this. Think about these questions, personal questions. In 2017, 
what role did the Bible play in your life in 2017? And, and that was my way of kind of drawing a continuum there. Did it have a primary role? Or did the Word of God have a peripheral role? Meaning, was it on the outskirts? What role? Ask yourself this. And, and, and not even right now. Just as you go forward, think through this and be honest. What role did the Bible play in your life? Primary, peripheral. Secondly, question, how would you characterize your attitude towards the Word in 2017? Were you intentional about its study, or was it accidental? Was it intentional, or was it when you had time? Third, third question I'd like to ask you is this, how did you use the Bible, and it's similar to, to what role but specifically, how did you use the Bible in your life in 2017? Did you use it as an encyclopedia? Did you use it to deal with personal issues? Did you use it to attack people? Did you use it to prove you're right? Or did you use it to get to know God or to grow in godliness? How did you, you use the Bible? And thinking back, again, to 2 Peter 1, where if these are increasing, they will render you neither useless nor unfruitful. My last question is this. How might your answers to those above questions be setting you up for 2018? Did, did we take, did we use, did we steward our days in 2017 and prepare ourselves to be useful to the kingdom of God in 2018. 365 days God gave us to get to know Him, to enjoy the privilege of serving Him, to enjoy Him, to have fellowship. No, nothing can be more important than the fact that again, God speaks. And I think in theory we would all agree with that, and yet, how might our answers to the above questions run parallel or contrary to that? In thinking about Colossians, what competition or what rivals does the Word have in your life? With regards to those rivals, what do you, what do you really think those rivals offer you that the Word of God doesn't offer you? far superiorly. And, and, and I will be the first to admit that busyness, even in my own life, like I said, busyness, uh, preparing to feed others, to teach, to preach, whatever, if I'm not careful, that can be the, the, the consummation of God's Word in my own life. And, and that's not healthy as well. And so I want to facilitate as a church I want to help us. I get it. I hear all the reasons why, and I understand that. I, I, want, to, I want to help facilitate the, the primacy of God's Word in our lives in 2018. And what you have in your hand is a devotion of sorts that, that we're going to walk, that we're, I'm, walk, I'm working on putting those together each week. And, and I want us to walk together through the Word in 2018. These devotions are going to take us through the Bible, but they're going to take us through the Bible with the focus of seeing the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all the Scripture. To see God's plan to redeem His creation all throughout Scripture. 
to see the, the, the arrival of Jesus, his, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, even what God calls us to today in light of those facts, to see that, that that was planned from eternity past. And hopefully these devotions will put Scripture in its proper place in our lives. Hopefully it will help us to have a, a tool, a resource to guide our reading, to grow but, but hopefully it will exalt Christ. And, and every week, every week you're going to have to read Scripture. And my heart is that, that through this we would be equipped for every good work that would be useful. Beginning in Genesis, we'll begin there and go through Revelation. And, and, and listen, we're going to ask some probing questions. These aren't going to be questions that say, how many of each animal entered the ark? That, okay, I get it. Your answer is going to be two, and even that might not be correct, because for some animals there was way more than two that entered for sacrificial purposes. How many people entered the ark? Eight. Okay. I get it. I'm not diminishing Scripture, but we're not asking those questions in here. We're going to ask deeper questions that, that cause, that force us to think. Harder questions. And, and I, I want us to, to probe the greatness of God. I want us to probe the greatness of His revelation. I want us to understand God's sovereignty. I want to understand His character. I want us to go deep so that no matter what happens, listen, we will not be moved from the trust and the loyalty and the conviction that this is the one true God in Jesus Christ whom He sent. That will be useful. There, these questions are going to challenge you to think. But my prayer is, again, that we would, as 1 Peter 2, 1 says, that through these we would grow in grace and respects to our salvation, that we would know our Redeemer more intimately. That, that our worship, that that would overflow into our worship. And when I say worship, not just here, I'm talking about every day of your life. That you would be equipped for every good work, whether it's at home, in your marriage, whether it's at home in your singleness, whether it's home in your parenting, whether it's at work, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in the ball field, whatever it is, that you'd be equipped. Why? Because as we'll see in Colossians 3.16, that, that the Word of God would be richly dwelling in us. And, and they're written to, to really challenge you to do even with your kids. If you have kids, these are things that your kids ought to be understanding as much as they can. I'm hesitant to use the word homework. I don't want to think of it as homework because I know that has a negative connotation. But listen, I want us to take our walk serious. And I'm not saying we haven't been. I'm just saying I feel like this is what the Lord laid on my heart to do my part to help eliminate some of the things that may be roadblocks, may be impediments to that happening in our homes, that we would study the word together, that we would grow together. Occasionally I may preach through some of what we're doing. I'm not going to do that for the whole year. Occasionally I might. It's going to chat. Again, the, the goal, again, is to get us in the Word. And, and these will be emailed. If you don't receive the email on Thursday, you see Melissa's email at the bottom of the handout there. Email her and ask to be included. I don't want to have to print these every week because of the expense. We'll print a few because some of us don't do email, and I get that. But for the most part, we'll email them out. We'll try to maybe, I don't know how that works, post it on the website so you can print those out. But my challenge is, is that we would be a people that we'd see the word differently in 2018. 
that we would be serious about the word in 2018. Even more so, no matter where you found yourself, even more so than 2017. That we be men and women of the word. That the word of God would richly dwell in us. So how'd you do? 2017, ask those questions. Allow the Holy Spirit to sift through your life and answer those questions and then respond. 